So it's been four months since the Hamas terror attack, and the United States has still not sent one dime to Israel. It's inexcusable. Where's President Biden? Biden, remember, he went over there. He promised to send billions, and everybody was singing his praises. Oh, President Biden, wow, he's a real supporter. He's a friend of Israel. Oh, he loves Israel. And where is he? He's not mentioning this. He's not pressuring Congress. Not a word about this. And everybody is exploiting. What's happening is everybody's exploiting the Hamas terror attack to pass their own agenda. Republicans, Democrats, they're all guilty. They don't care about Israel. If they did, they would have sent them the money unconditionally. They would have sent them at least part of the money, something. What they do is they link Israel funding to other things that they do care about because they think that way it'll be easier to pass. And it's really inexcusable. So now the latest, the Senate has passed a funding package that would send nine. Of course, it's not a standalone like they did in the House. It would send $95 billion to Ukraine and Israel. This is the third funding package that has passed so far, but none of them have actually been signed into law. The bill does nothing to secure the border, and that's why Republicans in the House don't like it, at least not the U.S. border. It does secure Ukraine's border, of course, but it doesn't support the southern border of the United States. Senator Rand Paul says, why are we borrowing money from China to send money to Ukraine? Send another. We've already sent them $100 billion. Now you want Vladimir Zelensky to buy another new Mercedes? You want him to pocket even more money? So you're borrowing from China to give it to Zelensky, put it stick it in his bank account. Speaker Mike Johnson says the House will not even vote on this bill because it does not address the border crisis. So here we go. Everybody's exploiting for their own agenda. We'll bring you all the details coming up. So much to get to. The two big stories this week, of course, the miraculous rescue, Chazde Hashem, the two hostages being held in Rafa. And there are so many incredible aspects to this rescue, to this story. It does. This is just so incredibly miraculous because it seems that not a single Jew, not a single Yid was harmed in this rescue operation, which to me, that is a nice gullowy. That is a nice niglet because it is so clearly possible and so likely, in my opinion, that, you know, at least by natural order of things, that to stage a rescue operation like this and you have them being held, the hostages being held in an apartment on a second floor, they have to breach the building. Before you even get to the escape, and that itself was very dramatic, how they managed to get them out and be able to leave the enemy territory surrounded by enemies. And, of course, we know about the strikes and the bombing, uh, leveling all these buildings, the surrounding buildings. But to be able to even get in to begin with and secure the hostages without any harm being done, to me, is just a staggering, staggering nace. The other big story, the impeachment. Congratulations, the impeachment of DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. They finally, the Republicans finally managed to get the votes to impeach. And look, I give credit to the Republicans. They did manage. We were uh, c- criticizing the Republicans because they tried and they failed last week. Now they get Steve Scalise back. So that put them the one vote over the top that was needed. But let's not get carried away. Okay, Mayorkas, it, 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 it took way too much effort to impeach Mayorkas. This is a no-brainer. If you cannot impeach Alejandro Mayorkas, who can you impeach? Okay, the man has allowed millions of illegals to invade the country. He sits there. He testifies to Congress. He lies. He literally, with a straight face, l- l- looking like he's just totally, totally clueless. Oh, well, the border's secure. Pretends that the border's secure. He acts like the, co- the congressmen, the Republicans, questioning him are, are crazy when they say, there's there's millions of illegals invading the country and they're just flocking across the border in droves. And he sits there. I don't know what you mean. The border is secure. I don't, the border is closed. Why do you think that we have open borders? 
And you literally have a split screen as he's testifying, showing thousands of illegals crossing at any given moment. And still, the Republicans could not do it until they got Scalise. They had a majority without Scalise, but three Republicans voted not to impeach, voted against it. So they needed Steve Scalise in order to have a majority because he was out last time. So if you cannot impeach Mayorkas without going through this many efforts, jumping through these hoops, then who on earth can you impeach? I mean, what does Mayorkas need to do in order to be impeachable? Does he need to, like, actually get in the caravan, actually sit behind the wheel of the migrant caravan and drive it? through the checkpoint himself. I mean, it's just egregious. But he has been impeached, and it's symbolic. It's not going to go anywhere because even if the Senate, the Senate may not even put it to trial, even though I don't know how they can get away with that because constitutionally that is their duty is, is if somebody's impeached in the House, they have to tr- put them on trial in the Senate. But you know, who's going to really force them to? The Democrats are in charge. But even if they do, of course, he's not going to get ousted. We know that, that he's going to get a, uh, going to get acquitted. Uh, so a bombshell store, a report has been released that says Iran is one week away. Iran is one week away from assembling a nuclear weapon. Iran now has all the supplies needed. This is according to a watchdog to assemble a nuke in just one week. We will get to that coming up. President Biden refuses to take a cognitive exam. Now, why would somebody, especially someone who has all their faculties, they keep telling us he is sharp as anything, sharp as a tech. I mean, he is just sharp as a knife. So why would he refuse to take a cognitive exam since he has all of his faculties? I mean, wouldn't you want to prove your mental abilities? Wouldn't you want to prove how your incredible prowess and your your incredible uh, sharp uh, grasp on, on all the issues going on? I mean, so I would think that that would be he would jump to take a cognitive exam. But the White House says. No need to take a cognitive exam because they say if you just look at Biden, look at his daily interactions, if you just speak to the man or watch him on camera, you can clearly see his cognitive ability. They're, they're, they're clear for anybody to see, crystal clear. So let me, just say, let me just say this to the White House. That's exactly why we need a cognitive test. That's why we want one, because we're actually witnessing before our eyes a man who's in severe decline. And on those rare occasions when they actually let Biden loose and they actually let him out of whatever cage they keep him in, and we see him interact with people, it is cringeworthy. It is cringeworthy. So uh, it's just... It's it, it's totally totally disgraceful that they're not doing. But of course they're not going to take a cogn- he's not going to take a cognitive test because and we all know why. We'll get to that coming up. The special counsel report. A little bit more about the special counsel report on the Biden classified document scandal. This report literally I went through a lot of it, and the report reads like a Trump campaign ad. It, it's almost as though Robert Herr is a is a Trump campaign operative. And essentially what this says is that, number one, Biden, you know, he claims ignorance, and I'm sure he doesn't remember, but I actually do believe, the one thing I believe about Biden when he says he doesn't remember is I believe him that he doesn't remember. If he says, well, he doesn't remember what he ate for dinner last night, I tend to believe that too. But he did know in 2017 that he had classified information, classified documents, because he literally told his biographer, okay, they have recording. This is a, this is not even testimony. There's actually a recording that the special counsel listened to where Biden is telling his biographer about all sorts of things he wants to put in his book. And he says, oh, I found all the classified material. I found all the classified. So he found all the classified material. In addition, there were literally folders. There were folders that Biden had in boxes. And they know for a fact that this is all in the report. They know for a fact that he used these boxes on a regular basis because he had things in these boxes that he went to, that he used. They, they know that. And in the same box, uh, it said there were folders labeled 
top secret classified information. So they literally, Biden is literally using a box, going into the box and getting things, whatever items that were precious to him. Back, this is again, between when he left VP, the office of VP, left office as, as vice president, and between that and him becoming president, he's using this box, and the box says, top secret classified information in the box, okay, where he kept his personal belongings, and he used it frequently after leaving office, according to the report. And last week, Biden lied because he said, that don't worry, all the classified documents were in locked drawers, locked cabinets, and that's not true. And he literally lied, and they caught him on it. I mean, there were, even 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 the leftist media, even the mainstream media, caught him on this and said the boxes they were wide open. There are pictures of the boxes wide open, like falling apart, just uh, papers strewn everywhere. So the the White House has repeatedly lied. Because Biden knew he had the classified documents and yet, and supposedly they cooperated except one problem. Biden has known this since 2017 and it was not reported until Trump was indicted for mishandling classified documents. And suddenly everybody woke up. Remember Mike Pence woke up and realized that he had classified documents and Biden and, and others, you know, like why did Bill Clinton not just suddenly discover that he had all sorts of classified documents? So, all right, we'll get to a little bit more of that coming up. And let me just say this to the media. Uh, regarding the classified document scandal, Biden, stop telling me that Biden cooperated with the FBI. Biden did not cooperate with the FBI. Stop pretending they ca- they, they're they talking about, well, why is Trump getting indicted? And Biden did the same thing and Biden's getting exonerated. And we all know the answer to that. Uh, <clears throat> Two-tier two, two, two system of justice. <clears throat> but, but uh, you know, it, it's obvious. And yet... What does the special counsel say? The special counsel did not say, well, Biden cooperated. You know why? Because Biden did not cooperate. The reason they appointed a special counsel to begin with is because Biden was not cooperative. So stop telling me Biden was cooperative. The reason that they, that, that, that the official reason, the reason that he's not getting indicted is because his name's not Trump and he's, and he's a Democrat. But the official reason, even the special counsel didn't stoop to that. The special counsel said, well, he's old and forgetful. That's what the special counsel said. He's old and forgetful. And, you know, a jury's basically going to be sympathetic to him. Now, why not put it to a jury and let the jury decide? Well, because the fix was in. Now, what what I think really happened is that Robert Herr, the uh, special counsel, he was told, you are not, just like we know, we know this precedent for this because Hunter Biden, remember? Hunter Biden, the special prosecutor was told, don't indict Hunter Biden. And they tried to give him this sweetheart plea bargain deal. And then, of course, uh, that fell apart because the judge wouldn't let it go through. But that's what they tried to do. They they tried to exonerate Hunter. So same story here. They basically told Robert Hurt, you're not indicting the president of the United States. And he understood that. So what he did was a little dig. He said, you know what? But that's not really a fair system. And he's upset because he knows that Biden deserves to be indicted. So therefore, he says, you know what? I won't indict. But I'm going to make it very clear that this man has incredible cognitive decline. He's in dementia and he's forgetful. And, you know, he literally I mean, he slammed him left and right in that report. That's what he was doing there was that was his way of saying Listen, he committed crimes. He deserves to be indicted. You want to handcuff me, then fine, but I'm going to make you suffer. That's what I believed is what happened. Um, and, and, and again, Biden brought them home willfully. He had classified documents, yet the White House did not cooperate. They spent months dragging, dragging it out, stonewalling, not sharing the classified documents with the FBI. We'll get to the timeline a little bit later on. The FAA is trying to reduce the number. Oh, gosh, get this. The FAA is trying to reduce the number of white males in the flying industry. Now, that's a very crucial priority. They want to reduce the number. You can't make this stuff up. We'll get to this of white males in the aviation industry. You know, why should they waste time, the FAA, making sure that air travelers are safe and that planes are not colliding with each other when they can be preventing white men from becoming pilots? You cannot make this stuff up. Also, I'm going to give you some thoughts about 
the interview with Vladimir Putin that was conducted by Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson, of course, interviewed Vladimir Putin. And the interview, we'll get to it later, but the interview was so boring. I mean, this was a really boring. And, and, and I got a couple of calls. I said, you know, I got to talk about it. And I listened to a lot of it. And uh, a couple of listeners said, can you please shed light on this? And it sounds like they listened to a lot of it. Now, a couple of things. Number one. You know, it's like if I want a history lesson, right? So I'll take a history course. I mean, let's just say that Putin is not Trump. Okay, you sit and listen to Trump for a few minutes. It's almost like you're listening to an entertainer. Uh, not to not to diminish it all. Trump's points are always spot on, usually spot on, and you tend to be very very sharp. But it's not a boring history lesson. Putin is literally it's like it's like listening to not just a history class, but a really boring history class. And th- by the way, there are reasons for this, as, as I'll get to a little bit later, cultural reasons. But Let's just say he spent the first half hour of this uh, interview uh, going through the history of Russia and Ukraine beginning in the year 800, beginning in the year 800. And he just went for half an hour. He just went through a timeline of various you know, points of interest. I don't not that I'm very interested in of the history of Russia and Ukraine, like break out the popcorn here. I mean, could somebody please get me some grass to watch grow? Because watching grass grow would be far more scintillating than listening to Putin drone on for half an hour about the history of Ukraine and Russia beginning in the year 800. So again, the two big stories this week, the miraculous rescue of the two hostages in Rafa uh, and Khaste uh, Hashem, this operation was executed flawlessly. Like I said, to me, the hostages being rescued, no injuries, nobody hurt, and no, and of course, no nobody killed Rahman al-Litzlan. You know that is a nice gullui, a nice nigle. The Israeli troops who rescued them, and this was the Imam, the elite. It was a bunch of different groups, but the, the uh, I think the head, the, the people that uh, headed the operation, and coordinated it was Yamam. Yamam is this very elite special operation group count, and there was a counterterrorism group as well. So um, here's the question: Is I would think what always concerns me about these type of rescue operations is that the Hamas captors, You how did they not hear them coming? And actually, I saw a video. It was hard to decipher exactly what was going on, but if I understood correctly, in the video, the, the troops are getting ready to breach the building. They know that the hostages are held in a building in the second floor, so they need to breach that building, but they have to set off explosives, detonate explosives, in order to, in order to be able to get into that building. And you can hear on the video, the explosives are very loud. So you'd have to think, I'm saying to myself, okay, so the captors, then at that point, they hear the explosives. Why at that point would they not harm the hostages? Because they don't want the hostages to be rescued. So it seems beyond comprehension. But again, there's always a lot of details. They're not going to really release all the details here. You know, they had intel, however they knew, they, you know, they might have known how many uh, captors there were and where they were located. I don't know. But Baruch Hashem, it's an amazing, they might have been snipers involved, but it's an amazing story carried out by, as I said, the Shin Bet and the elite Yamam unit. And uh, meanwhile, what's happening here, the mainstream media, this is this story is, and, and, and look at Klal Yisrael. Klal Yisrael, this story happened on Sunday, and the celebrations reverberated. There was not a Jew in the world who was not celebrating and elated and just euphoric and feeling just so incredibly excited. And 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 what a celebration. What an incredible, and it's bittersweet because, of course, there's still so many hostages, Rahman al-Zlan, they're still being held. But this was just an incredibly uplifting story. And we're all just, it's as though your own relative, it's as though a member of your family has been rescued. And, and, and that is the beauty, of course, of Kal Yisrael. There's no such thing anywhere else. And yet the mainstream media is is bashing Israel. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the mainstream media is busy talking about how supposedly a bunch of Palestinians were killed in this operation. And look, obviously the terrorists that are killed 
are terrorists, but they're saying innocent Palestinians. So number one, they're quoting Hamas. They literally quote it. They call it the Hamas-run Gaza Health Ministry. I'm so tired of them. They quote these bogus statistics. They're made up. Whenever they quote these numbers, there is no source for the numbers, the number of casualties, number of injuries, anything that happens in Gaza, unless the Israeli government happens to have information Anything that they say is coming from the, the Gaza Health Ministry, that is Hamas. And when the AP or the New York Times, when they quote it, they're quoting Hamas. So it's like saying, you know, it's like, it's like quoting the murderer. It's, you know, you're quoting the terrorist. Well, you know, the terrorist says that the people that he innocently, the innocent people that he murdered were really guilty and they really deserved it. Uh, you're quoting the terrorist. How absurd is it that they quote the terrorist? The terrorist, that whatever they tell you, is meaningless. It's fabricated. It is absolutely worthless. Even Biden said it. Remember at one point Biden said, oh, I don't trust what comes out of the Gaza health ministry because it's run by Hamas. So they quote it, but like they still give you the number. Oh, but it's run by Hamas. So then it's worthless. It's like saying like, oh, a three-year-old just told me that there were 67 people killed. So let's, let, let, let's run that as news, the three-year-old. But they do it. They do it because it's propaganda and the New York Times, the mainstream media loves it. And let's even assume what, what happened was Israel needed in order to, for, for them to escape, in order for the troops with the hostages to be able to make their escape. Again, they're in Rafa. So in, they're in this very, very densely populated area surrounded by enemies. I mean, it is terrible. I give credit to these people, the, the courage, the bravery that they have to go in there and just be sitting ducks surrounded by the enemy. I mean, it's just, it's just unthinkable. It is unthinkable. And so, in order to get out of the building, they needed to ferociously bomb the surrounding area, basically carpet bomb it with airstrikes to provide cover and create a diversion in order to escape. And so, supposedly, according to CNN, the AP, New York Times, 67 Palestinians were killed. How do they know that? They don't. They make it up. It might be true. It might not be true. I'm not even saying it's not true. And even if it is true, nobody would ever, ever criticize Israel because they had to rescue hostages. I mean, and incredibly, hostages were there for months. And Chaste Hashem, they're okay. You know, they're relatively healthy. They look a little thin, thin, a little gaunt as you'd expect. But you see the images of them. You saw, I saw videos of them reuniting with their family. I mean, it, it warms your heart. And, you know, we daven that it should, that, that, that it should go that way for all the rest of the hostages. Every minute that they're suffering is just, is just a, a minute of, un, of, un, of unthinkable horror. So Baruch Hashem rescued against all odds and the media slamming the Israelis. Again, the other big story, Alejandro Mayorkas impeached the vote. Well, there are a lot of big stories. We have a lot to get to here. And there's even some things we're literally not going to have time for as much as I'd love to get to, you know, some of these other stories go. I mean, there's, there's so much going on, but we'll have to do another show just on the stuff that's breaking here in the last few minutes. But, um, Alejandro Mayorkas impeached. The vote was 214 to 213. Three Republicans voted against impeachment, including Mike Gallagher. Now, Mike Gallagher, Interestingly, and we, uh, you know, I criticized Gallagher last time. He wrote an op-ed basically saying, oh, my orchestra is just negligent. Just negligent. Just negligent is like, oh, whoops, you know, I forgot. We, we need a few more CBP agents in this sector. Or, you know, we accidentally uh, left some of the some of the fencing uh, open, whatever, the, 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 the border uh, barbed wire fencing, razor wire that Texas is, uh, you know, if he wasn't cutting, busy cutting down the razor wire and suing for the right to cut down the razor wire, okay, he's negligent, you know, or like he does a, he does a bad job. They're not they're not processing illegals quickly enough to to get them deported, but they are deporting. Like, I mean, he's literally if, if, if they put if China or Mexico or Venezuela or any 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 foreign country put a DHS secretary in place, he'd be doing what, what, what the United States, what, what Mayorkas is doing, which is just let them invade in the millions. 
So it's t- totally, totally, uh, it, it, it is as treasonous as anything could be to be the DHS secretary and allow millions of illegals to invade the country and do nothing to stop it and then lie about it in Congress. So he absolutely deserves to get impeached. I don't know what Mike Gallagher's thinking, but Mike Gallagher now is leaving Congress. And the reason he's leaving Congress is because he doesn't think that he has a chance of getting reelected. Now, it might not simply be about Mayorkas. It could be that they sensed that he was an easy target. You know, the Democrats, they're always going to try to flip a couple of Republicans. So maybe they saw that he was leaving Congress, so they knew that he wouldn't be afraid to kind of go against uh, uh, the, uh, virtually the entire party, the entire Republican Party. I don't know. But either way, Steve Scalise last time was out for medical treatments. That's why it did not pass. Now, again, the Senate may not hold a trial at all. So even if they do hold a trial, of course, he's going to be acquitted and there's going to be a whole drama, a whole dramatic production by the Democrats about how how the, how the Republicans are just this is a political maneuver and Mayorkas doesn't deserve to be impeached. I mean, it's a disgrace. Mayorkas is a total, total disgrace. Uh, all right. The Senate has passed a bill, as we said, to fund Israel. At, but by the way, I do have to mention, though, it is a very strong symbolic move as much as I'm not happy that it took the Republicans this long and this much effort to impeach Mayorkas and the fact that there's discord about it and there's not total unanimity and agreement. However, it's very rare. I doubt there's been any time in history that, uh, well, DHS has only been around since right after 9-11. That was when they established Department of Homeland Security. There has been no DHS secretary impeach. And even in general, how many cabinet, how many uh, cabinet members of any presidency have ever been impeached? I, I, I don't know. Very few. The answer is very few. So the fact that they did this is a hugely, you know, it's it's a very, very strong statement. Now, again, it's always with the Republicans, it's always reports and statements, right? Oh, this is a statement. It's a moral victory. Like they never actually get anything accomplished because they never actually throw anybody out of office. With the Democrats, it's like they impeach and they impeach the president, which we're, we're, that's never going to happen, of course, with Biden. And, uh, you know, they have all these indictments and they put people in jail. Now, by the way, Roger Stone is being forced to actually report to not Roger Stone. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Peter Navarro. Is, Roger Stone is, is is fighting it, but Peter Navarro is being forced to report to prison, and they're not even letting him out and f- go free while his appeal makes its way through the courts, which is egregious. But uh, that's what always happens. The Democrats always actually get people ousted or put in jail, and the Republicans always get reports and uh, symbolic moves. You know, so you'll tell me it's an impeachment, yeah, but it's not going to go anywhere. But it still is a very very strong statement to impeach the DHS secretary, so it is a big deal. Uh, all right. The Senate has passed a bill to fund Israel and Ukraine. It does not include any anything involving the southern border. It passed 70 to 29. There were 22 Republicans who voted in favor of this bill. There was an all night filibuster by conservatives, but then it ended up passing at 5 a.m. Um, Mike Johnson, Speaker of the House, says it's dead on arrival. He says that it's not going to be put up for a vote in the House. Um, so let's get back to Biden's cognitive. We'll get more to the, back to that in a second, the uh, the Israel-Ukraine bill, and I'll explain kind of the strategies here and what's going on and uh, how each side is trying to exploit everything for their own personal gain. But And, and, and stop sending Ukraine money. Just stop sending Ukraine money. We're going to get to that. But Biden refusing to take a cognitive exam. Now, maybe it's because, I have a theory. Why would Biden refuse to take a cognitive test? Because Biden's cognitive abilities are just so incredibly strong. He's going to perform so well that Biden's worried he's going to embarrass the rest of us. He's going to embarrass Trump. He's going to embarrass all the other people out there. He's going to embarrass Kamala Harris, So, which actually the, the one person who, who Biden might do better than on a cognitive test would be Kamala Harris. But why else would he not take the cognitive exam? Well, the White House says, well, he doesn't need it. His whole life is one big cognitive exam. So 
The problem, you know, they say, look at him interact with people. That's what the White House says. Look at him interact with people. Look at him deliver speeches. Look at his grasp of complex world issues. Look at his ability to speak, to communicate with world leaders. Yes, that's exactly why we're so concerned. I'm looking. I'm seeing him interact. I'm seeing him give speeches. I mean, it's a disaster. It's cringeworthy. You know, every day with Biden, like we're witnessing, I agree with the White House. We're witnessing him take a cognitive exam every single day and failing miserably. He literally could not remember the name of Hamas. He literally, he, he you know, Al-Sisi, President Al-Sisi of, of Egypt, he asked him, hey, how's the weather in Tijuana, Mexico? Okay, he's, Biden goes around the Oval Office and he says, where, where are the corners? Why, why do I not see any corners in the Oval Office? I mean, he literally cannot figure out the color of the building on Pennsylvania Avenue that, that he lives in as president. At least he's, he's occasionally there because very often he's off in, in Delaware uh, vacationing. But he does occasionally visit the White House and asks, what color is this house anyway? And, and it's, it's just insane. And, 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 you know, the other day when he held that press conference, after they did the special counsel report, and the special counsel literally said, they said his memory was bad back when he was trying to write a biography and trying to tell his ghostwriter what to put in the book. And that was, you know, that was painful. He didn't remember basic dates and basic names and facts and figures. And then when we interviewed him, meaning the special counsel, he was much, much worse than he was then. So, like, they really dug at his at his cognitive mental abilities. Not hard to do, by the way. I mean, it's a, it's 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 low hanging fruit, as they say. And, and 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 yeah, we're seeing all of that. And then he goes and holds his press conference to try to say how. His uh, his cognitive abilities are great. And how dare the special counsel. And, you know, by the way, stunning part, the special counsel said that he was asked the year that his son, Bo, passed away. And it's very tragic. And I don't want to make light or diminish. He lost a son. It's very, very, very tragic. He lost, He had a bunch of personal tragedies because he lost other members of his family years ago in the 70s. But we're not going to get into that right now. But he lost his son uh, several years ago and he couldn't remember the year. And, and, and Joe Biden saying, how dare the special counsel say that he could remember the year? Well, uh, no, he, no, he, he couldn't. Well, I don't know for sure, but according to the special, why would the special counsel make that up? They literally have it on record. It's we, we haven't seen it, but they have. They literally have the deposition. Okay, it, it's it's recorded and it's written up. So why on earth the special counsel? Of course, Biden's going to deny it, and the special counsel is maybe not going to publish it. But I, I tend to believe the special counsel on that one. And then Biden in the in that press conference where he's supposed to be showing off how really his mental abilities are sharp as a tack. And he mixes up the president of Mexico and Egypt and calls Al-Sisi the president of Mexico. And they remember when he said, watch me, they asked him about his cognitive abilities like a year ago and his memory. And he said, watch me. Well, we watched him. We watched him. That's the problem is that we keep watching him, although they rarely let us. But the few rare occasions they do. And he's totally incoherent. You know, And so it's just like and, and of course, we know about. Um, you know, saying that he met with President Mitterrand of, of France, who's been deceased for 28 years. And uh, it's just unbelievable. Meanwhile, uh, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre said, quote, the president proves every day how he operates, how he thinks by dealing with world leaders, making difficult decisions on behalf of the American people. Uh, it, it's unbelievable. Nancy Pelosi said, well, Joe Biden's even younger than I am. She was asked about Biden's cognitive ability, and she said he's even younger than I am. Like, is that supposed to be a defense for, for Joe? You can't make this stuff up, Nancy Pelosi. And it is true that... Biden is younger than Nancy Pelosi. Well, what does that tell you? You know, so she's she's literally said that. Who am I to criticize Biden's age? And what's incredible is that a lot of the people there were some people who actually this is what bothers me about these Democrats is they'll look at you square in the face and they'll tell you the sky is purple. They'll tell you the sky is green. And then when you try to deny that, they'll look at you like you're crazy. It's pure gaslighting. It is pure gaslighting what they do, because look at the border. Right. My, my as we said before, my will sit there and say, what? You think the border's open? You think that illegals are pouring in? Why do you say that? The border's locked down. The border's closed. I've seen him say that. And it's like you see a video and the border's 
wide open. And we know the, the numbers. There are millions of people. And the Democrats say it. But then you'll have these Democrats who say, oh, Biden, I speak with him all the time. He is so incredibly sharp. And he has such a grasp over the issues. I don't know. It's, it's just, you know, what's his name? My, Chuck Schumer. Chuck Schumer called it a right wing, either a white wing conspiracy theory or a white right wing narrative to, 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 for those people who fabricated the idea, the notion that Joe Biden has cognitive issues and cognitive decline, has dementia. This is what Chuck Schumer said. He said, oh, the, the right wing media, you know, or, or the right wing agenda or whatever, the right, right wing narrative, whatever he called it. But he's, he's like, I don't know what they're talking. I speak to Biden all the time. Biden is so sharp and so clear and has such a command of the issues. And, and, and I don't know what they're talking about. And he's not the only one. He had a bunch of them. Chris Coons, a bunch of Democrats. See, there were there were others. There were people like Paul Begala. There were a bunch of Democrat, uh, you know, media figures and, and analysts and, 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 you know, pundits. And they didn't say that. They said, how dare this special counsel? How dare Robert Herr go and say these things? Yeah, it's relevant. Yeah, it might be true. You know, they didn't deny it. They didn't say, oh, Biden is in cognitive decline. Biden has a bad, is an old man with a bad memory. They said, yeah, they said, well, how dare he say that? He shouldn't put that in the special counsel's report. He should find wording. He should use wording that's more sensitive and more gentle. He shouldn't be, shouldn't have been so strong and so, and so, and so cruel and nasty to Biden. But they didn't deny it. They did not deny it. Because they know it's true, right? But then you have people like Pelosi and Schumer and Chris Coons. I wrote that a couple of others who, what? Biden has cognitive decline? You're believing Trump? You're believing these wacky Republicans who like to make stuff up? Look at Biden. Look at him. I mean, you feel like you're speaking to a man in his 30s. You know, you feel like you're speaking to a genius. And and that's just ga- pure gaslighting, telling you, oh, the sky is green. Why? You think the sky is blue? Like, they make you like you're the crazy one. And and somebody asked me, what about Bibi Netanyahu? Because Netanyahu was asked about this. And he said, oh, I spoke to Biden a dozen times. We've spoken recently. And I don't know what anybody's talking about. But, you know, Netanyahu basically dismissed the whole thing and acted as though uh, he didn't know. He's never seen that side of Joe Biden, the side who's, uh, who, you know, who's slow and has, you know, cognitive issues. I have no problem with that, and I'll explain why. Because that's always the approach when you're a foreign leader. A foreign leader cannot get a foreign leader can can attack a, 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 a president of the United States if they have a problem with how they're treating Israel. If, he, if if Netanyahu doesn't like the pressure Biden's putting on Israel and he wants to attack that, then that's okay because that's relevant to Netanyahu. That's what he's supposed to do. He's the leader of Israel. But to go and get involved, let's say he started getting involved in petty politics, right? Let's say he started talking about the Trump indictments and all of that, right? You cannot take sides for a number of reasons, but you cannot take sides and you cannot go get involved in dom- in domestic issues. So everybody knows. Of course, Netanyahu knows. He's watching the same videos we're all watching, but you're not going to take a cheap shot. So I have no problem with that. But for, for, for U.S. politicians to, to say that, totally different story. That's my opinion. Uh, all right. So uh, let me tell you about there was a, actually a like a town hall, a virtual town hall on X on Twitter, which is X, but I call it Twitter because I still can't get used to X. So this had Senator J.D. Vance, Senator Mike Lee, Senator Ron Johnson, who joined Elon Musk and Vivek Ramaswamy, Vivek Ramaswamy, all of them slamming this package, the funding to Ukraine. The funding to Ukraine has got to stop. This is just nuts. It's just corrupt. They pocket the money. It's prolonging the conflict. It's actually causing more people to die, not fewer. They just, if they would stop, cut off the money, Zelensky would be forced to make some kind of, negotiate some kind of ceasefire with Putin. And enough is enough because it's going to end up happening. It's just a question of when. It's when, not if. So J.D. Vance says it's moral blackmail. He says that Chuck Schumer, Mitch McConnell, they're rushing the aid through and there's no accountability. So there's no way to oversee and make sure that the money actually goes to the right place. And he says, well, what's the rush? He says, well, they're saying, and it's incredible, they're rushing the money to Ukraine, and yet Israel, the slow walking, and Israel has not been sent a dime. Ukraine's got $100 billion. But he says, 
listen, he, he's saying, what are they saying? They're saying, unless you approve these, these resources and the weapons, then you're going to allow Russia to win. He calls it a moral blackmail. That was J.D. Vance. And Vance said that this is not a winnable war. He says they cannot admit it's not going well. If they admitted that, it would cause too much psychological harm and they'd have to cut bait. So essentially he's saying that they keep pretending like the, like the war can be won and not looking at the facts on the ground. This, there's no way Ukraine can win. Ron Johnson said that proponents claim that it's in the politicians' best political interest. He says, oh, well, you should send this aid money. This is what the Democrats are saying. And, and not just Democrats, 22 Republicans. It's helping build our industrial base. It's creating jobs. It's, it's, it's a jobs creation in these states. And he's saying that's depraved justification. He's right. It's egregious. He's, he's saying that some uh, Democrats and Republicans in the Senate are saying, oh, we have to pass this money for Ukraine because think about it. We're going to create more weapons. We're going to create more supplies. And it's, it actually builds jobs. So you basically what you're doing is you're allowing a, a war to continue indefinitely and allowing soldiers to be killed because uh, you think it's good for job creation in, in America. It's it's just disgraceful. And again, if you want to say, listen, I think that this is a good thing because we have to fight Putin. That's one thing. But the people who say, oh, we need to do this because it creates jobs. You never fund a war in order to create jobs, especially when we're borrowing so much money. And it's just we're, we're, we're it's, it's costing us a fortune. Elon Musk, who, who, who pointed out, you know, he sent Starlink. He's been very supportive of Ukraine. He says this war cannot be won and just do a peace deal already. He says, quote, Ukraine is losing people every day. If you're going to spend lives, it must be for a purpose. He said, uh, he says, there's no way Putin's going to lose. This is Elon Musk talking, not get a lot of attention by the media, of course. He says, Putin's going to lose. He says, he says, I'm sorry, there's no way Putin's going to lose. He says, if he'd back off, he'd be assassinated. And for those who want regime change in Russia, they should think about who's going to take over for Putin. Is that person likely to be a peacenik? Probably not. They're probably going to be even harder, even more hardcore than Putin if they take him out. And then Mike Lee, he slammed those people. Uh, what happened was Senator Rand Paul put forth a an amendment to this bill that would increase accountability and oversight of the funding because they're giving this corrupt Ukrainian government all this money. So so Rand Paul says, listen, we got to appoint an inspector general that has to be included in the bill. And he was shot down. And Mike Lee slammed the people who shot them down. He says, quote, these are not Boy Scouts. These are not Girl Scouts. These are people who have really set world records for corruption. It is an art form over there. Peter Navarro is being forced to report to prison, even though his appeal is making its way to the courts, which is a disgrace. Why? The the reason the judge gave is because Peter Navarro is friends with Trump. He was a Trump. Uh, he was a Trump advisor in the White House. Now, that's not really what the judge said, but the, but it might as well be a federal judge denied Peter Navarro's request to remain out of prison while he appeals uh, the charges of contempt of Congress. He was convicted because he refused to cooperate with Congress with the January 6th committee, as we know. And he did so, by the way, he had legitimate legal reasons. He said that Trump invoked executive privilege, so he was not allowed legally to testify. But the judge says that he didn't bring actual proof to support his claim. Navarro also said that January 6th committee was motivated by political bias. I mean, that's not exactly a shock, right? That's not exactly uh, even questionable. But District Judge Amit Mehta who was appointed, of course, by President Obama, says the defendant's cynical, self-serving claim of political bias poses no question at all, let alone a substantial one. Unbelievable. So basically, he, he has no proof that he's just making this up, that uh, the, the January 6th committee was politically biased. Oh, yeah, well, as though that's as though that's debatable. All right, so according to a bombshell new report, Iran is one week away from building a nuclear weapon. That doesn't mean they're going to build it in a week because they wait. They have all the parts ready, all the centrifuges, all the all the enriched uranium that they need. And this is a very, very shocking. And again, we're not shocked. I don't mean shocking in the sense. It's just jolting. It's just very, very disturbing and terrifying. Nobody's shocked. I'd be shocked if Iran 
took longer than a week to assemble a nuclear weapon because Biden has let them enrich the uranium and breach the deal and do anything they want to do. So they have all the parts. And by the way, now they're testing out ballistic missiles. They literally are testing out ballistic missiles, which are nuclear capable. But Iran, according to this watchdog, this is a the Institute for Science and International Security. It's a watchdog group that, that monitors Iran's uh, atomic nuclear program. They have enough weapons-grade uranium to produce one nuclear weapon within one week and six nuclear bombs within a month. They they say there's extreme danger. And by the way, nobody's denying this. Even the, the IAEA, which is the UN watchdog, they also say that Iran right now has been preventing inspectors from coming in and entering and inspecting, which is their whole job. So it's it's, it's just insane. It's literally insane, insane that the Iranians, they managed to create, they, they have all this weapons-grade enriched uranium uh, it, it, there's a stockpile of 60% enriched uranium, and it, it doesn't take a long time to enrich that to 90%, which is weapons grade. So they say literally six weapons in one month, and after five months, uh, Iran could have 12 nuclear bombs. And as I said, they're not giving inspectors access. Rafal Grossi, the head of the IAEA, which is the UN watchdog, he's saying the same thing. Nobody's denying this. Iran is claiming that they're, they basically have all the supplies, capabilities to build a nuclear weapon in a matter of days. And you got the watchdog saying that, and you have the IAEA, the UN. So everybody's saying that. When everybody's saying that, it's true, okay? Here's what Rafal Grossi said. He said, quote, it's a very frustrating situation. We continue our activities there, but at a minimum, talking about Iran. He said this at the World Economic Forum in Davos. They're restricting cooperation in a very unprecedented way. And there's a major lack of transparency. It's just, it's insane. They're literally just toying with everybody, just just, just teasing, taunting us, you know, like, like uh, just, just, wagging their fingers at us saying, oh, we're developing a nuclear bomb, nothing you could do to stop us. Well, yes, number one, they could sabotage it, they could sanction them instead of Biden giving them more and more billions of dollars. Nobody's doing anything about it. And and Israel, the reason, part of the reason is Iran's getting away with it. Remember, they used to have the mystery explosions in their nuclear facilities for a long time. And they used to have these nuclear scientists, right? You'd have men on motorcycles just all in black who would blow up the nuclear scientists. Well, Iran, Israel right now is very, very busy because Iran funded the Hamas terror attack. So that was a big diversion for, for the Iranians to... To, to be able to advance the nuclear program beyond all comprehension. Um, all right. What else is going on here? Stunning new report shows that a lot of the jobs, everyone keeps talking, touting the jobs that Biden is creating. The economy is a disaster. In fact, the new inflation report, inflation is still up. And even if it wasn't up, it's it's way, way up from what it was when Biden took office. So even if it starts to go down, that's just the rate of inflation. But the prices are still sky high. But inflation is still up, believe it or not. But but they keep talking about, oh, but, job, but, but Biden created jobs. Well, number one, he created jobs because, remember, COVID, they shut down all the jobs. They did a lockdown. And then when, when Trump left office, millions of jobs were lost and they were giving out this un- un- unemployment. The Democrats artificially kept the jobs numbers down so that when Biden co- came in, he could go and create. So that way they could say that, jo- that Trump lost jobs, which, again, because they were giving up unemployment money that was worth more than people's salaries. So, of course, they they, they, they stayed unemployed. And then Biden created all these jobs. But number one, they were created because of the COVID lockdowns ended. Number two, it turns out that most of the jobs are going to illegals. They're going to migrants, but most of the jobs are actually going to illegals. There are actually fewer U.S.-born Americans working now than were working back in 2019. So they, Biden's creating jobs, and everybody's wondering why are people struggling? Because the jobs are going to illegals, and they're getting all these work permits for illegals, which was never allowed. All right, so the investigation into the classified documents, again, we talked about how there was no cooperation. So just to give you a little bit of the timeline here, I'll try to get through it quickly. 
it is November 2nd. The White House discovered classified documents from when Biden was vice president. By the way, there was all sorts of access to China. There, there were two offices that Biden had in universities. The universities are funded by China and Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden, there, there's shocking new reports, which I have to get to next time, from Tony Bobolinsky testifying and others, uh, other partners of Hunter Biden, saying that like Hunter Biden was on China's payroll um, after Biden left office. So Biden has all these classified documents, very sensitive military documents, and they're in a garage, and Hunter Biden has access to the garage, and Hunter Biden is buddy-buddy with, like, the Chinese Communist Party. No exaggeration, by the way. He's he's on the payroll of CEFC, which is a Chinese shell company that's run by the Chinese Communist government. So it's insane. And you have these classified documents everywhere. You think that it's just a coincidence? Who knows what Hunter Biden told told Joe Biden to bring home after he left office as VP? So the White House discovered classified documents. What happened was basically they kept discovering classified documents and they kept alerting the FBI. So there's no cooperation. Okay, months later, they like discover one batch and then months later. So meanwhile, the rest is sitting there. It's in his Delaware home and it's in a different office. And there's some in Chinatown and there's some at his beach. They're all over the place. You have classified documents every, 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 um, every, every place Biden has ever basically lived or, or stayed. And I'm not exaggerating. And, and, and any office that he's rented out, there, there, there's some kind of classified information. So what they do is instead of the FBI going and raiding it all, number one, they had months. They literally were months in between the, the first batch was found and the later batches. So they're able to clean out. They're able to get rid of whatever they wanted to get rid of because who's going to stop them? And then they kept alerting the FBI. Oh, we found more here. We found more here. How is that cooperating? What, what, what cooperating means? Number one, he had it from 2017 and he knew he had it. He'll say, well, he didn't know. He didn't know that narrative is fake. He says, oh, my, 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 my employees messed up. My staffers messed up. They accidentally took it home. Not true because they have him on recording in 2017 with his biographer saying, oh, I found the classified stuff. So he found the classified stuff and they know that he happened to have access. He used his box, boxes frequently that say in big letters, top secret classified information. So he knew. So claiming ignorance is fa- that, that that is that is an absolute fake bogus claim. And the special counsel debunks it. The special counsel doesn't say, oh, Biden cooperated. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, oh, Biden didn't know. He says Biden willfully took home. Biden knew. He says it over and over again. Biden was aware. Biden was aware. Cooperation. There's no cooperation because in November they found the first batch and then they keep finding batches. Right. So uh, November 9th, the FBI, November 2nd, they reported to the, the National Archives, they didn't even report it to the FBI. November 9th, the FBI launched an assessment to determine whether there was mishandling of classified documents. November 14th, Garland assigns a U.S. attorney. It's not the special counsel. He only assigned a special counsel. Remember, at this point, none of us knew about it. It was only reported by the media because it was leaked to CBS in January. December 20th, Biden's personal lawyer informs the U.S. attorney there are additional documents. That's a month and a half later, additional documents. January 9th, the, the CBS News reports this. That's the first time we hear about it, the last year. January 10th, Biden says that essentially he doesn't know what's in the documents, which is a lie. And although he probably didn't know at that point because, you know, they asked him his own name and he wasn't quite sure. Right. But um, January 12th, Biden's personal lawyer informs the U.S. attorney that additional document was fine. January was found January 14th. The White House announced that Biden's personal attorneys discovered additional five pages in his home in Delaware. January 19th, Biden tells reporters, oh, there's nothing there. You're going to find we found a handful of documents filed in the wrong place. We immediately turn them over. We're fully cooperating. Lie, 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 lie. I'm sorry. But just one after the next. It's total obstruction of justice, by the way. And then January 21st, a member of the White House Counsel's Office, Richard Sauber, said additional classified documents were discovered at Biden's home in Wilmington, Delaware. Delaware. So they keep finding more things. They keep searching. The FBI never once has entered any of these places. Finally, then at that point, they decide, all right, we better appoint a special counsel and we better let the FBI in because uh, the Biden people were totally obstructing the investigation and just completely not complying, completely not cooperating, not doing a search and just turning it over in drips and drips. 
and not and not being forthcoming, not being honest. And then February 1st, finally, the, the FBI goes in. The DOJ conducted a planned search of Biden's home in Delaware on February 1st, February 1st. Think about that. OK, now. So it's planned. So they know about it ahead of time. They can go in and get rid of whatever they want to get rid of. And they still found found things. And um, and, and that was February 1st, months after the November uh, 2nd, when the first uh, November 2nd, when the first documents were found. The Ayatollah has been banned from Facebook and Instagram. Finally, why is he not banned from Twitter? I know that Elon Musk is very pro Ayatollah. I'm sorry, very pro free speech. I take that back. He's not pro Ayatollah. I sound like Biden, he, he, but he is pro uh, free speech. I get that. But it's the Ayatollah. But okay, but but we know that Facebook and Instagram are not pro free speech. And remember, when Twitter before Musk took it over in the Knesset, they were asked the, the one one of the heads of Twitter was asked, "Why is Trump banned, but the Ayatollah is not banned? Former President of the United States is banned, but Trump, but but the Ayatollah is not banned." And and they actually justified it instead of saying, "Hey, you know, you have a good point. We should really look into that." They actually justified it and somehow said how Trump is a worse threat than the Ayatollah. Uh, the FAA is trying to reduce the number of white males in aviation. Uh, Daily Wire host Matt Walsh. Revealed that uh, in, there's he revealed internal footage. FAA officials had some kind of Zoom conference in, in April of 2022, and they announced a plan to reduce the number of white males in aviation. The footage shows a video conference. Acting Deputy Chief Operating Officer Angela McCullough complained that flight operations are white male dominated, and they need to work on that in the future. And um, Walsh said that he heard from several members of the aviation industry recently, DEI is endangering the public and distracting the FAA from their work. Uh, aside from promote, for, forgetting the fact that promoting pilots based on race and gender and on DEI and not on the qualifications to fly an airplane and be safe, it's also ludicrous that these officials, they're sitting there, right? How are they improving aviation? These officials, that's their one job, is to basically make sure that flying is as safe as can be. And they're focusing on DEI. That's how they're improving the aviation industry. They're supposed to be figuring out how to make flying safer, totally ignoring that. And, of course, last week, two planes collided on a runway. They were going slowly, so it wasn't terrible. But but um, it, it could have been, and we know about all these near misses. Um, Walsh said the radical DEI-centered thinking is affecting airline pilots because they're being prioritized the minority pilots are being prioritized and they have pilots who are like doing a terrible job and get bad ratings. But if they're minorities, then they get promoted and they get to keep their job. All right. Putin, Tucker Carlson. Wow. I really I don't have time for this right now. Three takeaways. Vladimir Putin believes that Russia has a claim to Ukraine, believes that Russia right, rightfully deserves uh, is entitled to take over Ukraine. He admitted that. So anybody who says that Putin felt threatened, basically, he said he didn't feel threatened. He basically said that he said, no, I didn't think I was going to be attacked, but he went through a 1,200-year history of why Russia has the right to Ukraine historically. Now, that doesn't justify anything. Tucker Carlson, number two, takeaway number two, Tucker Carlson did, a, did not do a good job. He did not ask any tough questions. He didn't ask questions about Putin murdering his political opponents and Alexei Navalny, who's been poisoned multiple times, nerve gas, Putin committing war crimes. And Tucker then defended. He was asked about this. Why didn't you ask, why didn't you challenge Putin about all the killing? And he said, oh, well, all leaders kill people, including Americans. My own leaders in America have killed people. So, uh, come on. I mean, that, 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 and that may, may be true, may not be true, but that doesn't, you got to ask that question. These are basic questions. And Tucker Carlson in the interview kept acting surprised, certain things that Putin said. A lot of that stuff Putin has said before. I've heard Putin say certain things before, and Tucker Carlson acted surprised. So I don't think Carlson did his homework. Takeaway number three is that Putin, his, his propaganda tactic, we'll have to get into this a different time, because he uses bad things that are done by the United States as justification for invading Ukraine, justification for a lot of the bad things that he does. 
And, and there's a lot of examples like this. And, you know, Putin thinks he was betrayed by, by Bill Clinton. So whatever. So basically he says, oh, America, America, they go and invaded Iraq and they had no justification to invade Iraq because Iraq didn't have WMDs. And he comes up with all these things that America did wrong. Again, whether he's right or wrong, but he uses that as propaganda. And here's my point. Let's even assume that he's right. Let's assume that he's right. Uh, and let's say America killed a lot of innocent people in Afghanistan. So Putin says, you blame me, collateral damage. Well, when America does it, you don't blame them, but you blame me. It, that propaganda, it's very, very powerful, but it's fake. It is totally, totally, it, it, it's not at all, it, it's not, doesn't justify anything that he's doing. He, this is how he, why he's so good, Putin, at brainwashing people. He knows the history, he knows his facts very well, and he's a sociopath, so he actually believes what he says. He's pure evil. Putin is pure evil. I want to be clear. He's a vicious, evil murderer and a terrible, terrible human being, but he's clever enough that he spins the things done by the West. So you got to realize that both things can be true at the same time. Okay, he also, by the way, he told a lot of lies. A lot of the stuff he said there was a lie. He basically... Uh, said that Poland somehow forced Hitler to invade Poland. Like, he said a lot of very crazy things. So I'm not justifying or even validating what he said. But my point is, let's even assume that a lot of Putin says it's true about the West. It doesn't matter. It doesn't justify the fact that you cannot go into Ukraine, which is now a sovereign nation. I don't care about your history lesson. I don't care about any of that. You're murdering innocent people, and you're doing it in the, en masse, masses of innocent people, and there's no justification. So he's manipulative, and he's very smart and very good at it. But none of that matters. So both things can be true at the same time, okay? It can be true that maybe Putin is right and maybe there's a lot of bad things being done by other countries, but that does not justify any of the bad things that Putin does. And Putin is pure evil. And it's as simple as that. So don't let, uh, you know, don't get sucked in to that narrative because that's exactly what he's trying to do. And a lot of people, especially a lot of Russian people, do buy into it. Do buy into that narrative. All right, there's a lot more. I'm, I'm oversimplifying it because we're out of time. That's going to do it for today. And we will see you next time.